Welcome everyone to White Coats at the Round Table. I'm Mike and I'm here with John and we've got a really exciting episode today. Over the past few weeks, we've been talking about burnout and John, you've been doing such a great job, uh, you know, just walking us through it and really educating us on burnout. But to recap, the first episode on burnout, we talked about a history of burnout research. For the second episode of burnout, we talked about signs and symptoms and identifying it. And now we're going to shift focus and talk a little bit about how we can combat burnout, both at an individual and organizational level. But before we get into it, John, how are you? I'm doing a lot better than you, I think. I hear a little scratch in your voice. A little under the weather. All right. The whole Um, house has been sick. So uh, I thankfully have not been hit as hard as my kids or my wife, but it's, it's been a rough week. No, well, we, we just got out of it. It was like a month of horribleness. But uh, yeah, it's it's been great, and uh, I'm excited to talk about this. This is obviously clinical burnout, and burnout in general is a passion of mine. As what I, I I'm not passionate for it, passionate for the fight against it. And so I want to I want to introduce somebody today who's going to talk about their experience with burnout. Jennifer Harrington is a physician assistant who is passionate about educating patients and providers on nutrition as an important factor in treatment planning. She's literally climbed mountains and traversed treacherous jungles to agree that Indiana Jones could only dream of to combat the evils of poor nutritional habits. Speaking of the legacy of the Jones dynasty, Jennifer can be found in the hallowed halls of higher education at LMU as the program director and assistant dean of the PA program. On the outside, Jennifer is edifying the medical community, but move over, Osmosis Jones and Batman. Jennifer has been a fearsome adversary to MSG and GMOs to agree that viruses and DC villains have never seen. Vigilante justice begins and stops with her. Packaged food and poor nutrition beware. She's only just begun. Thank you. Thank you for such a fun introduction. And yes, I'm I'm coming for the GMOs, I'm telling you. <laughs> well, I didn't mention MSG, un- unfortunately, but MSG is, you know, not many people eat MSG anymore, right? Am I am I <laughs> No, it's delicious. I thought so. I don't, I don't know. It's supposed to do some bad stuff to you. So, Jennifer, before we get into things, John has added vigilante to your resume, but did you want to expand on his intro at all and maybe give a a little bit of a more formal introduction about yourself, where you work, what you do? So, sure. So, I'm an assistant dean and a program director for one of the PA programs that LMU has, and I've been in education quite a while, but I do have a soapbox of nutrition, and I love it, and I was telling um, Mike before we started that... Um, I feel like it's one of those soapboxes like politics and religion that you just mm. can't talk about so much because it offends people. And especially with burnout, because I think people want to hide a lot of times when they have burnout. And when you tr- try to sure. do prevention measures or recommend prevention prevention measures, and especially if they involve nutrition, people just don't want to talk about it or hear it. So I love that you all invited me um, to do this. I I got a um, I got invited to be part of a nutrition fellowship this year. So this is the perfect year to, to do that with a, a PA foundation is what I'm doing that with. 
Wonderful. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've already done with nutrition, what type of education you've, you've done on the university level or community level. And it'd be interesting to know if it, there's any anything clinical burnout associated that you've done education-wise for the community? So I'm right at the the tail beginning of this um, nutrition fellowship, but I've incorporated nutrition into my PA education throughout the past 12 years where I've been educating. So I really make it a point whenever I teach, no matter what lecture it is, thyroid or cardio lectures, that I, I really you know hone in on the nutrition aspect because I believe that prevention in a lot of these chronic diseases, as well as just obesity, um, diabetes, and those kind of things is so important. So with the Nutrition Fellowship, they really picked out three topics they wanted us to focus on. And those were nutrition and aging, nutrition and diabetes, and nutrition and wound care. So whereas they didn't necessarily focus on the burnout, I realized there's so many things that you can do um, with your nutrition, things you eat, things you do, lifestyle that can help you have the tools to, to fight burnout. All right. So um, why don't we talk about what's, what are people doing currently or what's, what uh, positive and negative um, actions have people been taking that impact their life, uh, work or home? Um, what lifestyle choices uh, impacts that as well? There's so many things we can talk about. I'll, I'll talk a, just a minute about exercise because I think exercise is one of those things that we always feel we're busy clinicians, right? We don't have time to do it, but it impacts our body's ability to fight off stress and that in, in turn prevents some burnout. So taking as little as three hours a week will make a huge difference in the amount of cortisol levels, for example. So, sure. yeah. So if, if a person could do that and, and you probably are really familiar with the more recent exercise studies that you only really need to do 10 minutes at a time to be effective. Right. So if somebody can take a little bit of their lunch break or, or a little bit in the morning, a little bit in the afternoon, that three hours can come quite easily through a week. So those people that we we're seeing walking around the employee trails or walking around buildings, they're not just doing it because the blow off steam or because they used to watch the walking videos back in the eighties. I, I think there, there's, actual benefit there, to there's it. so much benefit to it. Get the heart pumping, disease preventative, stress preventative, mm. all kinds of great um, things that can come of it. I, I think uh, we probably see a lot of people when they, when they feel stress or even on lunch breaks, like you mentioned, instead of thinking about exercise or doing something active, they think about, we, I just need to rest. I need to sleep. Mm -hmm. I need to take a nap, uh, which we know that there's benefits to that as well, but maybe instead we structure our lives around the positive aspects and actually plan for it. This, I'm guessing this is something you have to plan for. It's not going to be a natural thing. It, it is. It's something you have to plan for and think about, but it does become natural once it becomes part of your lifestyle. So, and that's the, that's the ultimate goal, making little steps, um, a little bit at a time and making it part of your lifestyle. So where you, when you don't do it, you feel like you miss it and um, you want it back. So I want, I have a question for you. I think the way that I think about burnout and nutrition is probably twofold. One is when people are burned out, their nutritional habits probably take a dump. 
I, I'm even thinking within my own life, when work is busy, I'm not going home and cooking. I am eating pizza or McDonald's on the way home. So that's mm. one aspect is if people are burning out, what can we do to maybe combat poor nutrition as a symptom of burnout? But then also, how can we use nutrition as a prevention of burnout? So maybe let's start with with burnout and having nutrition as a symptom of it, what do you feel we see with that, with healthcare professionals specifically? Do we see a pattern of behavior with nutrition, whether it be, you know, people that eat poorly are going to always eat poorly, or is it something where we may see that shift as people become more stressed, more tired at their jobs? Yeah, it definitely is a coping mechanism. A lot of people use is, is just eating the junk type of foods. So um, when people are stressed out, you always hear them grabbing a candy bar or, you know, going to get a milkshake or something that's really not going to um, help the problem. It's actually going to be counterintuitive because it's, they're going to be having those sugar spikes. And then um, the more, for example, simple carbs that they're getting, they're going to increase their cortisol levels. And that's going to increase, you know, decrease their body's ability to handle the stress, and it's going to make things worse. So if, um, again, it's one of those lifestyle things where people can get used to making the better choices when they're feeling stressed, and making those choices easy, um, when they don't have time to, to, to cook for, you know, and, or, you know, prepare a meal, making those choices easy so they're accessible and they're ready for them. So a little bit of preparation for those moments is really important. I think it's so similar to exercise where when, when life gets busy or life gets hard, the things that probably help us in terms of coping end up getting put to the wayside and that may exa- accelerate or exacerbate those feelings of stress or burnout. Mm-hmm. So Let's talk a little bit about preparation. You said one of the big things that we can do from a nutritional standpoint is just think ahead and have some prep. And I totally get that because if you don't know what you're going to have for dinner and you worked a 12-hour day, that's not the time to figure out where you're going to go to the grocery store or what meal you're going to put together. So what kind of uh, tips would you have for healthcare professionals in terms of prep? So I'll tell you what we do in our family, and it works quite well. Um, on We do our grocery shopping on Sundays, and we spend our Sunday afternoon doing a little bit of meal prep for the week. So one thing that we make every Sunday is our, our lunches for the week. And I make these big, um, I like to call them maybe nutrient-dense salads. So it's not your typical, I went to the you know, restaurant and got an iceberg lettuce and a few tomatoes and cucumbers on it. These salads that I make have all of the foods on them that are shown to decrease stress and increase neurotransmitters and, you know, serotonin release um, and things like that. So a little bit of seeds on every salad, some beans on every salad, uh, the rainbow of vegetables on every salad, a few nuts on on the salad. So these are really um, dense, uh, packed salads. So we make it for the week. And that way, during the week, we're never tempted at lunchtime to go out and you know, hit McDonald's or something like that. You know, it's, it's always ready and it's, it's there for us. And the other thing that we make on Sunday is we make a huge pot of um, vegetable bean soup. So for the nights mm. that we don't have uh, something ready to eat, we're, we're grabbing that. Um, and then we, gra- we always cut up some vegetables and hummus, and we have that for when people are feeling snacky so they're not 
grabbing a bag of potato chips, and then we always have a bunch of fresh fruit. So those are things that are just easily accessible and available. And really, uh, my husband and I do the the prepping together, and it might be about two hours of prep for a week worth of food. And that, to me, is worth it. And of course, that soup's not going to last all week. And there's going to be nights where we cook meals that we we eat. But um, that that's our backup plan. Okay, well, I, I do have an example to to give to support everything you're saying. So I have always been active and my diets waned and waxed. When I was in high school, I was a, I was a wrestler and that was, I mean, it was a good experience, but my goodness, the eating habits were horrible. It affected my mental health. I'm, sh- I'm sure we didn't talk about mental health back then as much, but I, I'll give an example from last night though. So my diet usually is I'll have a, a coffee 90 minutes after I wake up because Huberman Lab, uh, I don't know if you ever heard of the podcast, Huberman Lab, mm-hmm. amazing. So they talked about sleep and how you can support sleep and making sure not to drink coffee until 90 minutes after you wake up. So the adenosine clears naturally. I was like, oh, that makes sense. Okay. So I started doing that. And most of my meals are a little bit of cheese, maybe some some nuts, uh, maybe a piece of a fruit and trying to put a little bit of fiber in there. So very balanced out. But when you're not prepared to handle stress in a certain way, whether it's meditation, going for a walk, maybe even taking a nap. Last night, I, I failed at this, Jennifer. So you're not going to like it. I, I went out at nine o'clock at night. I told my wife, I said, you know what? I'm just going to go to Wegmans, maybe pick a couple snacks if you like and watch watch a show. I came home, Jennifer, and I looked at everything I bought and I was like, okay, this was not a good choice. I probably should return this stuff. It was like Mike and Ike's. It was, I was like a kid in a candy shop who never had money before, you know, <laughs> chips, guac, uh, brie and caramel pecan caramel dip. Like... It was not a wise choice. It sounds like you had a party. So, I was going to say, it sounds like a great <laughs> night. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> sitting on the couch and eating, maybe not even talking, staring into space, it's wonderful. But it, to the to your point, though, I wasn't thinking about how I can handle this in a positive sense. I was thinking about, let's just get through this. It's already late at night. I don't have the energy to even think about. But in the past, it's either been meditation or having some carrots and I would have never said that before in the past. Uh, so I can attest to the fact that I've seen the negative and positive sides. And, you know, it, it didn't work out last night, but planning is is essential. So can you talk a little bit more about uh, specifics and examples of how somebody could get started? In, in medicine, we always talk about SMART goals. And so those SMART goals are we have to make it specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and time-bound. So it seems makes it complicated, but can you tell me how we take a SMART goal and apply it to nutrition? Yeah, that's a really good question. So the first thing I would encourage somebody to do is really just self-evaluate and reflect on where they are. So a lot of people think that they're doing pretty well, but then when they get it on paper and they take, for example, a 24-hour diet 
diary, a food diary that we ask our patients to do, but how many providers have actually done that themselves? And when you're thinking specifically about those diaries, you want to write down what time you ate, exactly what food you ate, maybe what triggered you to eat if it wasn't a meal time. Um, and then what you're drinking all day long is really important. And when people do that, it's almost quite embarrassing to them, um, especially if they have to share it with somebody. Ooh, I, you know, I don't want to be caught eating that those Mike and Ikes at 11 o'clock at night in front of the TV, <laughs> for example. So you might not have made that choice if you had to take that diary and showed, shown it to somebody. Um, sure. So, yeah. but that's really revealing. And when people start doing that, they realize, man, this is, this is what's triggering me to make a bad choice. This is where I need to prepare. And that's where you can better plan for your step. So pick that step that you're, you're really maybe messing up on. And then this is my goal. And this is how I'm going to do it one thing at a time. If you just, you know, cold turkey, cut out everything bad in your life and start exercising 30 minutes a day when you've been sitting on the couch and eating junk food, that just is not attainable um, to people. So one step at a time, figuring out where you are and then picking that goal. I do want to make the delineation here as well, uh, just to make sure that we're staying within our bounds, that of course, this doesn't apply to those with eating disorders, which people in the community, medical community definitely struggle with eating disorders. And this can't be taken as advice for someone being managed by their their physician, because that's going to look ex very different than what we're talking about with the general population. Mm -hmm. um, but also, along with those SMART goals, there's diets. How should we take these diets into consideration? These, we talk about fad diets, low carb, uh, carnivore. Uh, there's some odd ones that have come up recently. Mushrooms have been a big one. Not the mushrooms that people are just got peaked over, um, over there in psychology, but the, the general mushrooms that everybody could eat. Uh, what about fad diets or are, are they good? So fad diets in general are, um, are something that has not been shown long-term to be effective in weight loss or long-term health. So for example, um, the NHANES study came out a few years ago. So we're going on, I think it was 2018, and they reviewed pretty carefully with about 20,000 or more patients, these low carb diets. So we've seen people on the paleo diet and the keto diet and, and um, similar low carb diets. And they found that where you know, people were initially really excited about these because they were causing weight loss and uh, initially um, quite mm -hmm. seemed healthier for those diets. But the long term effects of those diets are actually uh, quite negative. The impact is mm. decrease in longevity, actually increase in chance of getting diabetes, cardiovascular disorders, cerebrovascular disorders. So all of those things are coming out of these fad diets that are not good. And probably the biggest problem with fad diets is people get on them and they yo-yo. They can lose a bunch mm -hmm. of weight and then they gain that back. And that's actually in increasing stress levels, decreasing the ability of the body, um, body's immune system to fight off diseases that come along and, and um, a lot of negative impacts from that. So really what somebody wants to do is find things that are sustainable instead of a, a fad type of diet. You don't want to do something so fast and so drastic. You want to do something that you and your family can do together forever and just be healthier. 
Okay, so what about people skipping lunches? I, I guarantee you probably half the people out there listening right now who are in the medical space, they're working through their lunch. Yes, and um, I don't know. I have mixed opinions on that because there's a lot of um, data that's come out on intermittent fasting where some, mm-hmm. you know, if it's done right, it can actually be beneficial um, for weight loss. There's there's ongoing studies now with cancer research and intermittent fasting, and I find those quite fascinating um, where, the, where you hit a certain amount of time uh, of hours and it's actually um, – decreasing cancer cells. So I think there's something to that. But again, that's probably something that ought to be planned. And if it becomes a routine, what happens is if I skip lunch every day, my body's metabolism thinks, okay, she's not going to eat lunch. So we're just not going to process calories as fast. Okay. Yeah. I, that's, that's very interesting planning versus just it happening to you. Okay, so Jennifer, now that we've talked a lot about the background of nutrition, let's talk directly to our friends in the medical community who are clinicians themselves. What can we do for ourselves or maybe our patients uh, to, to better them or ourselves in nutrition? One of the things that I find, and I think across the board, medical programs, PA programs are pretty bad at teaching a, a good amount of nutrition. You have you know one or two lectures, and then that's that's about it, and you move on. Um, I feel like medical providers, especially, just need to to get out there and and educate themselves. Read some of the newer studies. If I ask most providers, so what what kind of foods can I eat to reduce my cortisol and reduce stress? I don't know that most providers could give an answer to that. So, but there's a lot mm. of data out there. For example, the um, Foods that contain acanthocyanins, which is like the the dark berry kind of, so the darker berries like blueberries, people eat a serving Mm. of those. I think it's one, um, maybe one a day, one serving a day, and it reduces depression by 39% in studies. So, um, Mm. you know, if we could be combating different illnesses by recommending some specific types of foods, then I... I think that would really help us and our patients both if we knew which foods to recommend. That's interesting. And especially because blueberries themselves, right, full of antioxidants. Um, It's a low glycemic Mm -hmm. index. So it's something that diabetics are encouraged to eat a lot as well. Um, I know even bodybuilders will use it. They'll mix in blueberries with make something slurry with uh, protein powders and such and freeze it and it becomes like an ice cream for them. But blueberries are have, it's like uh, the unsung hero from from what I understand. So what are, what are some other things, foods like blueberries that we could incorporate more so often? So I feel like fiber is very much ignored. Um, people, you know, when they do actual studies, the people get about 50% of their daily needs of fiber. And why fiber is so important, especially when it comes to mood, is it's mood balancing. You don't get those spikes. Mm. And um, something simple like adding beans or swapping meat for beans for a meal or two a week can increase your fiber. You decrease the deleterious effects that that meat might have on your your heart or your vessels, and and you're you're getting some mood and health benefits from that. So um, yeah, I keep. I feel like I have these asides. Like okay, so Mike, um, the name Asbach is not German, is it? Very German. 
Ger- oh, okay. So with the German people, from what I understand, is that they have a, a, a higher instance of stomach, colon, and rectal cancer because of the amounts of smoked meats that they would consume, um, similar to throat cancer for uh some Asian cultures, especially the Japanese culture, because they drink a, a lot of tea. So there's there's diets that are not necessarily bad, but you incorporate too much of it becomes bad. So swapping meats out for other alternatives seems to be one of the trends that it's not, I feel like meat isn't as highly um, consumed as it once was when we were younger. Um, anything about that or even the vegan lifestyle being pushed forward? So I feel like meat does have its benefits and I wouldn't uh, push unless somebody chose to be a vegan or vegetarian, I wouldn't push that on them. But the more we learn about nutrition, the more we realize that, you know, meat isn't where we get everything we need and we don't really need meat every day. So, and, and that's Mm -hmm. not a very popular thought for the bacon loving culture that we, we have, but the more that we can have a plant rich or vegetable rich diet Mm -hmm. and look at the meat as the, the garnish, um, I think the better, um, in studies show the better our health will be overall. So what kind of resources can our medical community and friends here at the white coats on the round table, what can they read to educate themselves? What's a good resource? Cause there's a lot of, I can't say crap. <laughs> we're at the beat that out. No, right? I think you can, I, I, I think you're good. Crappy resources out there. Where, where should we point? So I think go? the, the good thing about being medical providers is that we have the ability to kind of weed through the good and bad and look at some of mm-hmm. these studies. Maybe at least I think, I hope we should, we should have had those courses that taught us what what research is actually good and which ones are you know probably not as as good to to look at so i feel like even if somebody went to a source that they weren't you know 100 percent happy with they could probably weed out the good parts of that um the one i really like um dr Furman has a few books that i like on um on uh diet and he encourages a plant-rich diet. But what I like about his books is about one-third of that book is research studies in the that he references. And you can go back to those studies. So I yeah. like to look at the studies. And I like the fact that they're all there in one place instead of me having to get on PubMed and search all the things that berries do and read you know 50 articles on berries to figure it out. <laughs> so All right. Great. So so we've educated ourselves at this point. Say I'm Joe Schmo. Uh, NP at a practice. I've educated, I've read some books. I'm excited. I've talked to my friends enough about it where they're getting annoyed at me and avoiding, mm-hmm. avoiding me. Uh, now that I've educated myself, what's a good way to challenge myself as opposed in opposition to a fad diet where we say, you know, give yourself a month of only mm-hmm. yogurt. So if you want my, my super challenge, um, and you're really ready to get on board, um, I like, I like to challenge people to really just jump in and see if it makes you feel better. See if you have more energy, see if your, your mood is better through the week. And, and I have a few things that I would, um, challenge people to do, to do that. And really, um, all of my challenge items, food items are based on getting like that nutrient density and as many foods in there that can combat 
disease, combat stress, and and the hormones that come with stress. So um, I'm gonna I'm gonna read you the list of the things I recommend. The one is I recommend people get about two cups of leafy greens a day. And that might sound a lot, but once you steam two cups of spinach, it's like a tablespoon, you know, it, it, it goes down. Um, about a serving of cruciferous vegetables every day. So know what your cruciferous vegetables mm-hmm. are, your broccoli, your cabbage, your cauliflower. So I just like to throw some of those in my salads when I make my salads, make sure I have something crucis cruciferous in there. About a quarter cup of beans a day. So getting that fiber makes you feel full you're ne- less likely to snack. You don't have the, um, you know, the higher use of insulin that your body would need to, you know, to f- digest some of the other foods. Um, and then two servings of antioxidant or flavonoid containing foods a day. So we have enough studies out there that we know there's a lot of really good foods. And you mentioned mushrooms. Mushrooms, I think, are a power food. I wouldn't overdo it and just eat mushrooms. But if you can saute some mushrooms and and um, add add that to your diet or your meal. It's, you know, it is a power food. It, it does have some benefits to it. And then a cup of vegetables of some sort. And I'm the rainbow of vegetables. I just like the rain, you know, just not only always iceberg lettuce and, and, uh, you know, GMO tomatoes, but, but go out there to the farmer's market and get some of the fresh vegetables that people are selling in a, in a variety mm-hmm. of them. And then always trying to get about a tablespoon or so of some kind of healthy omega-3 in that diet, whether it be walnuts or avocados or seeds or salmon, um, something like that is, is going to help your, your brain as well. So yeah, this is, this is doable. This is very doable. You, you said a lot about vegetables, beans, cruciferous vegetables. And if you zoned out during that, because you heard vegetables a bunch, we're going to be posting this on our, uh, on, on the podcast show notes. So you can read through some of these it's not a lot. A, a cup of some of these or a serving or two is a very little amount. And if we want to try to start working towards it, this I think this is a wonderful way to start because it's not about jumping in. Like you said, it's about starting slow and moving forward as our, as we can, not to overdo it for ourselves. I, I love it. Yeah. This is, this is I really love this. Breaking it down to a two-week challenge or just, you know, these mm-hmm. little achievable goals, I think is so key. Because for me, I think it sounds like it's fair to say I am the least healthy in terms of my diet out of the three of, the, of us on the call. And part of the reason for it is I'm German and I have an immense sweet tooth. So I grew up or after every dinner, I have to have a sweet, every dinner. I have to have dessert. I have to have coffee after dinner. German food is very carb heavy. So I, I definitely maybe do worse than you guys. But when I try and eat healthy, so often I feel overwhelmed by it. You know, the idea mm-hmm. of I'm completely cutting out all desserts, or I'm going to completely cut out all carbs is very difficult to maintain. So taking it just in a two week window and saying, I'm going to do this, or I'm just going to shoot for these goals. And even if I may have, you know, a piece of cake with a a glass of red wine at the end of the night, if I'm still making sure I'm hitting all these dietary goals that I have during the day, then maybe I don't feel as bad. I don't feel like I've completely failed, even if I do trip up and have some dessert later on in the evening. Mm -hmm. And that's a good way to look at it because everybody's going to have their trip ups and mistakes. But if you're getting the, the nutrient dense, rich things in there, it makes you feel better about the, you know, piece of cake that you had. 
Basically, I think what I'm saying is I'm incapable of cutting out cake. So we, we have to work that around my diet. And my, my background, my family's <laughs> Italian. So if I, um, if I tell them that I really don't eat much pasta, that's kind of like a, a sin to my, my relatives. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, and eat this, not that. The chickpea pasta, what is it called? Wonderful. The, they have... That's so high in protein. pasta is really like, good too. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So what I've noticed, and we can we can wrap it up around this, is so my wife was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at the ripe age of 32, which is uh-huh. wild. But those in the community in endocrine, you know that there's a lot of diabetes. Um, viruses can kick it off. It might have been COVID. Who knows? But as we were working through this, I wasn't educated because I, I sought the education. It was because we had to respond to something in our family. And the education I got from diabetes transitioned to nutrition perfectly. It's because it's all of the the same exact points you're talking about. A balanced diet in the sense of making sure that you have a fiber to help uh, prolong that insulin spike. Reading labels. I mean, educating ourselves on how to read labels correctly. Because when you look at fiber and how fiber will actually decrease what you're, you're looking at for carbohydrates, it, it, it does affect it. Um, but we, our lives are changed in how we eat and we do feel better. We are sustained longer. We don't have those, those intense cravings at night anymore. So even if you were to look at some educational resources on how to eat like a diabetic, I think that would be phenomenal too. It's probably good for most of the population, Mm -hmm. but I don't know, Mike, do you have any, do you have any thoughts on, uh, some last thoughts on this? Yeah, I I think it's so fascinating to think about nutrition as a tool for combating burnout. When we initially, you know, talked about doing this as an episode, I was like, "Uh, maybe. But now as we get into the conversation, it just makes sense. I I always Mm -hmm. like to tell my patients when I'm counseling them on nutrition, how do you feel after you eat McDonald's? And of course, you know, they don't feel good. It sits in your stomach like a rock. And yet we don't take that advice ourselves. Or maybe we feel like, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, I know I should eat healthy, but well, today was just too busy of a day, or I just have too much going on. So Jennifer, I can speak for myself. I've learned a ton from this, and I'm hoping that especially with this episode, but then also passing along your your incredible show notes that will be able to help a lot of healthcare professionals out there that maybe know that they should be eating healthier, but feel intimidated by it, or just feel that they don't have time. So I'm, I'm really appreciative of all of this. Before we we transition, so at the end of this, we always like to talk about some personal things just to kind of retain the humanity of medicine. But Jennifer, I want to give you an opportunity to get last thoughts in as it relates to nutrition. So I really, um, I really like what John was saying there towards the end, because I feel like any type of healthy diet is going to translate to a burnout diet. So those diabetic diets are, are perfect. So whereas sometimes we don't, you know, we will focus on one type of diet doing one thing or one type of diet doing doing another, I really just think we have to focus on eating healthy overall. And it, it translates to so many benefits. So, um, yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. So we're, we're uh, springing this on you. We didn't warn you. And we did that intentionally. But at the end of the show, we always like to finish with just some personal items. You know, what are you reading? What are you doing? Anything fun that you've done? And the reason we do this is healthcare is so all-consuming. And often, you know, when we're talking about healthcare, especially with burnout, we can lose some of that humanity of just having lives outside of our jobs. So we like to go through at the end of each episode and just talk about something that's going on that might be interesting. 
if you have something ready to go, I'll let you go first as our honored guest. But otherwise, John or I can take a crack at it while you think about it. Um, go, go ahead. Yeah, I, I'll go first then, just to give you, give you a little bit of time. So there's there's two things that I, I, will, I will say here because have I talked about meditation, Mike, here yet? I thought you were going to talk about audiobooks again. No, I, I love audiobooks. Audible, if you're listening today. No, you haven't talked about meditation. Okay, so meditation. So when I made a, a kind of a, a snarky comment when we initially talked about burnout and saying, oh, let, yeah, let's just send some money towards the company and do some, some wellness and give them a headspace or a calm app. Uh, that was a little cheeky because I've been a calm app subscri- subscriber for maybe a year and a half now. I love it. I do daily meditations in the morning. Uh, and then I'll do sleep stories or uh, sleep meditations uh, before I go to bed. And it has helped my my mental health uh, greatly. But in that same breath, it's the idea of do what you think is going to make you feel happy. So a couple of days ago, I went to a park at a, like a park table bench, whatever. And I set up my workstation there for the day. And I spent the whole day there just looking at the trees. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's changing over here in upstate New York and it was beautiful. I stayed there until the lights were coming on and, and it got dark and I just kept looking around making sure that there's nobody thinks I'm some weirdo sitting in a park with a laptop, you know, doing work. But, um, I, I it, it changed my perspective on the day. It was, it was wonderful. I had a great time. All right. So I'm going to stick with nutrition because that seems mm-hmm. to be the theme today. So recently I had, company over. And I have a sous vide for anyone that's not familiar with it. Sous vide is uh, the sneaky trick that all the restaurants use to make great food. So yeah, so it's it's a French cooking technique where you submerge your food in a hot water bath at a certain temperature. So it is the way to make perfect steak, perfect seafood at home. What you can do is you can put your steaks in a bag and then put them in the sous vide at, you know, 130 degrees, which is the temperature of medium rare. And then you keep it in there for two hours and then you just finish it on the grill to give it a good crust. So we had people over. I usually smoke and barbecue in the summer. Now that the weather's starting to change, I'm getting into sous vide because that's more of my winter cooking thing. I bought an entire tenderloin, sliced it up into my own fillets. So I paid, you know, 90 bucks and got 10 steaks out of it. So it was very economical for steak. Sous vide it for two hours at 1.30 and it was almost fork tender filet mignon. It was perfect. It was amazing. It was better than anything I could get at a steakhouse for $10 a serving. So if anyone out here is into cooking and has not tried sous vide, I highly recommend it. Wow. So the one thing that I have been um, into lately, and really I would say the past couple of years, um, my husband and I, we live near Cumberland Gap. And if y'all aren't familiar with that, it's where Tennessee, Virginia, and Kentucky meet. And we're, we're only about five minutes from the base of the Pinnacle Trail. So a lot of days when we're a little more stressed out or we feel like, oh, I need some nature today. My, and my husband texted me today. He's like, I think I'm, I'm going to the Pinnacle today. You want to go to the Pinnacle? So it's a, it's a good hike up. <laughs> but we'll try to do that at least a few times a month. And boy, is that just stress relieving. Mm. Just get up to the Pinnacle and you can see all three states and the beauty and just being out in nature and getting that exercise in. It's it's wonderful. So, well, Mike, we have another person yet again that is talking about climbing mountains and 
traversing jungles, like I mentioned in the intro, it seems like this is kind of everywhere. I feel like we need to make an actual thing of this, like a trip or something like that. Well, John, the secret is I'm actually screening our guests to make sure that they like outdoor activities before we have them on. I need to make sure that we can continue to lobby and advocate for some of these fun adventures. It it is interesting, though, Jennifer, as you've said that, because I also am a huge believer that outdoor activity is incredibly important for mental health, um, for physical health, and it really can be an awesome way to combat burnout. Um, In fact, right now I'm getting ready to go on a different podcast. Uh, We'll share it once it releases as a guest to talk about the benefits of outdoor recreation. And then I'm hoping to actually give a presentation on this in an upcoming CME conference next year. So we'll, we'll definitely talk about it more, John. And I've got lots of ideas of maybe some white coats of the round table stuff that we can do, but let's wrap it up. So Jennifer, thank you so much for coming on. I can speak for John and myself that we've just learned so much and I'm so excited to share this with listeners. I know every healthcare provider probably out there knows that they should be eating healthier And every healthcare professional out there is probably having days where they just don't. It's just hard. So I think you've left us with some wonderful, actionable items, some low-hanging fruit, if you will, on how we can maybe improve our nutrition as a way to prevent or combat burnout. For listeners that are going to continue with us, we're going to jump over to the Patreon side of things. And John and I are going to continue this conversation. And John, I thought about Maybe it would be good for us to talk about our own personal nutrition and maybe where we're lacking because I'm lacking in a lot of areas. If anyone is not a patron member, you can go to patreon.com slash WCRT where you can join. We have bonus episodes. We also have access to show notes, job listings, and many other benefits. We're White Coats of the Round Table. If you like what you're hearing, like us, follow us, subscribe. If you really like what you're hearing, leave us a review. If you don't like what you're hearing, definitely don't review us. Until next time.